When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the defense in that game against the Texans in the divisional round. Great game. Lots of fun to talk about. And what could make it better? Having Michael Crawford as the guest. Michael, how are you doing again? Doing, Ken. Uh, Ken, I'm doing great. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun to get back together and talk football. And what a time to talk it right now, uh, coming off the game that the Ravens had against the Texans. I mean, oof. Who <laughs> I, I I don't I'm obviously not you know like a player or anything like that but the excitement that those guys were feeling I felt the same kind of excitement I was like oh it's like a relief you know kind of thing in a way but also that anticipation of hey, you're two games away you know what I mean so it's 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 well well one game away if you can win the AFC championship game so it's very exciting yeah and and to be now poised for the AFC championship to be played here. To have this all this garbage about the Arrowhead Invitational ended now suspended indefinitely is the way I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly won't be happening this year. <laughs> all right. Well, the second part of this show always we talked about a lot of things. To the first show, people, please go back and and download that if you haven't already. Uh, lots of great stuff about the pass rush, about you know a, a team that didn't get any sacks or turnovers, as Michael pointed out, it still had a great impact on this football game. That the pressure they had 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 great impact, and uh, I think we saw that the Ravens did not overreact. Was one of the points uh, Michael made. They they played a very limited set of packages. They didn't do a lot in terms of pressure systems that were or the elements of deception that was exceptionally high, and certainly not in terms of numbers. So we saw a lot of the same out of McDonald. They won snap count sixty seven to forty seven. This was a case where where um, I, I'm really of the opinion that it's never bad to win sixty seven forty seven. It's probably a very very good thing for your defense. We've heard other from otherwise from other people. So Michael and I debated that a little bit. Um, uh, lots of other feel good things about about narratives ending and whatnot. And I think make that pod a worthwhile thing. But uh, always a discussion with Michael Crawford is fun from this chair, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do. But Michael, why don't you start us off in part two and uh, and take us to who's the player you'd like to talk about first? Well, we kind of mentioned him uh, in in part one, but I'll start with uh, Justin Matabike. Um, I thought that he was very effective uh, in pass rush. I mean, whether it was one on one rushes where it's just him going against a guard, uh, whether it's working in combination with another player on a pick stunt or a game, um, you know, whether it was in the run game, the it's kind of goes back to what you were just saying. I just kind of put this together in my head. I was like, man, I wonder. So very limited, right? You just talked about in terms of the number of packages that they played. And I just wondered, sometimes when you're in these really big games, obviously there's pressure. You know, players will always say, well, you know, there's always pressure. It's no different. But everybody knows it's different. Everybody knows mm-hmm. it's different, right? Because you lose and your season's over. So I wonder if sometimes if there's this sort of thought from a coaching philosophy, like, look, we don't need to add any additional junk to all that stuff that these guys are already going through. So let's try to simplify as much as we can. Let's put together a good plan, but let's try to simplify as much as we can. Cause we don't, we just want guys to play fast, just play fast. We don't want guys out there hesitating, unsure of themselves, not confident in something. Cause it's not something they've done a lot. Let's just play the hits, you know, and just let guys play fast. So I say all of that to get back to Matt Abike. He's just getting off the ball. 
Okay, he's <laughs> get off on some of these plays. He's resetting the line of scrimmage. He's a yard, yard and a half into the backfield on some of these things. And that's that's like what he does best. Right. His athleticism, his quickness, his power. Just go and just run through somebody's chest. OK, or work your move and get on an edge and beat him that, you know, whatever, whatever way you, you, you deem best to bet a guy, depending on how he's setting you. And it's like he just embraced all of that. Like they just turned him loose and just said, hey. We're not going to, you know, complicate this. Go be who you are and what you've done best all season. And it, it, it showed through in this game, in my opinion. Great game from Matabike. One of his best of the entire season. I, I thought, I think, I think you're right on the money with that comment. And, and I think one of the things, let Matabike be Matabike, which is a, a great penetrator, a great first step between two players. Uh, all the things that, that Justin Matabike did. We talked a little bit in the first episodes. So I don't want to do it again about him being a great underneath player on stunts. So he's the guy who sets the pick often, and he's often the guy who's first to get off that pick um, as soon as the uh, as one guy has to depart from that blocking arrangement, and then he's given a very advantaged situation. Um, Justin um, also had a great game against the run, and in particular, uh, he had a great game against Mason, and he had a great game against Scruggs, and they tried to get him as many one on one looks as they could in this game. But I, I did not; I don't have a single note where he's blocked by Dieter. Um, no, that's not true. He's the underneath on a stunt, and he bowled both Mason and Dieter on one play. It's the last note in my article here, actually. Um, uh, he, he did a fantastic job, obviously, on guards in this game on both sides, and uh, just uh, absurdly effective. Um, I have him for five pressures. I know PFF has him for a couple more because there's some continuation pressures in there where he chased Stroud down, which, by the way, terrifically important for the Ravens' defense um, in this game. But uh, but a great game for Matt Abike, I would agree. And I think he helped make a lot of the other players better. And I think a lot of the other players made him better, including um, Pierce, who's not on the field as much with him anymore. Mm. And now the pairing we're seeing, by the way, Pierce and Matt Abike, they're playing basically the same snaps the first half of the year. But now it's it's Jones and Matabike who were the who were the A A team for passing downs. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't I didn't obviously chart it in the way that you did, so you have the numbers, but you're just watching it and just visually, you know, you see that Michael Pierce is not out there with Matabike as much as you maybe have been con- uh, accustomed to seeing him out there, and you know a little bit of a larger role for Travis Jones, and so there might I don't know if it if it'll come up or not there. I think I saw somebody submitted a question along those lines. So I won't, I won't sort of dive into my thoughts oh. about that, about why more of Jones now and, and, and less appear. So I, you know, whether we get to it or not, I don't know, but I'll, I'll hold off just in case we do get to it on, you know, what, what some of the reasons for that could be. Oh, we got a great set of questions out here. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch okay. of, let's, let's <laughs> this is, this is from a bits at MD Bitzel. Um, do you see the snap count continuing in Travis Jones' favor in place of the in in over Pierce in the playoffs, or was it just more of a one-off for this particular game? No, it's been going on for half a season now. They've really gone to um, more and more of Jones. Um, Pierce and Matabike, I just looked on my charts here. Ten, they played ten snaps together in this game, and Jones and Matabike, three, four, five, eight, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Looks like they put 23 together. So hmm. Jones and Matabike are now the A pairing on passing downs. And that's mostly a function of how, how dominant Travis Jones has been in yeah. terms of what he's been doing as a pass rusher. I, we, we talked about this a little bit on the first show, but Pearson Matabike had a great thing going on early in the year. I think they're still fine at it in terms of being a good stunt tandem. I think Jones gives them a lot of that too. And they are both really Jones coming out of the draft, really penetrating linemen who gives you a lot of the same things that Matabike gives you. In fact, it's it's not a one-for-one matchup, but it, it wouldn't be shocking. They've re-signed Pierce. If Jones takes over a lot of Matabike's role next year, if he's not here. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he just causes problems and he causes them extremely quickly because of that first step quickness, because of that ability to kind of reset the line of scrimmage and to do it with power. I mean, he is a powerful young person. <laughs> and so he's worked on this uh, sort of Reggie White hump move this year where you kind of get a guy to, you know, open up and you get under his armpit and then you just sling him over oh, yeah. because his momentum is already, you know, kind of on his outside leg or whatever. And you see it like there's flashes every game. There'll be a couple of flashes every game where he just kind of does something and you're like, you're not supposed to be able to move an NFL offensive lineman like that. So I think you're right. That combination 
of those two, you kind of can understand why, you know, maybe they want to have them on the field a little bit more together. But then also, um, you know, if, you know, Matabike is not here next year, you know, you have a guy who you feel like can can kind of move into that role a little bit and give you some of that. You know, Matabike is an interesting guy because he's kind of like that old school. It's it's weird. I say old school because sort of your undersized, quote unquote, undersized defensive tackle. It's more like athleticism and that kind of thing. Old school in the system that I'm thinking of. It was the old Monty Kiffin think Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl defense, that under tackle, right? The Warren Sapp guy, right? Yep. A little bit under, but super quick, very athletic, still has good power. You know, your John Randalls, all of those kind, the guys in that mode. I'm not saying he's those players, but, you know, on that spectrum of, of play style and sort of body type, he sort of fits into that. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, the Ravens have had like behemoths, like a pair, like pairs of behemoths in there together. So he's a little bit unique in that way. But man, has he been good this year? I mean, yeah. holy moly! They've they've been off and on. They've had great three techs and some other guys who are just less uh, uh, athletic at the position, and and they've they've lived with it. But you know, they 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 certainly had the, Syracuse and Adams at the same time. Adams a much more. Um, impactful athlete than people probably give him credit for. I mean, people think of him as being a big fat guy who kept people away from Ray Lewis. Well, that wasn't at all. Adams who had a thunderous first step and he would create this enormous problem in terms of how you got him blocked, um, make it very difficult for players to get up to level two, a, you know, a guard or a center to try and, and take care of Ray Lewis um, in, in that, in that era. But uh, uh, they've had, they've had some good players. We mentioned some of them on the first show. So let's not, let's not go back and recover that same ground when I, when I got you here for, uh, you know, another hour or so. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and name the next player. Yeah. Um, and and uh, even though we've, we've talked some about Travis Jones, so I'll leave him alone. And I'll go to Arthur Mollette, who had a terrific game, I thought. Um, made contributions, uh, you know, certainly in the passing game, coming downhill and making tackles, which was very valuable. Um, he made incredible contributions as a pass rusher, including what really was the Ravens' only sack. They had an intentional grounding call that Stroud was flagged for that should have been a sack. By the way, why don't they just credit a sack for those? Wouldn't that be a reasonable choice? It only makes sense. <laughs> okay, but anyway, now we got to talk about it, and we got to put on one or two or three asterisks for players who draw you know more than one of those in a year. But effectively, uh, a, a very good. Uh, uh, pass rush play there uh he had another quarterback hit late uh and i believe he had one other pressure so a hell of a game from uh molette in terms of uh getting out of the quarterback and, and the, the key thing was the texans were not trying to block him they they, they were allowing him to come unblocked off the edge every single play they had no particular answer for it and i don't know where that has to come from whether it has to come from running back or whether um you know the tackle is supposed to adjust to get out to this slot corner who's blitzing um, but but whatever the whatever the cause was of them not picking up on a play by play basis, they were not addressing that situation. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up, too, because that sort of, you know, it goes by a bunch of different names, nickel fire, nickel, you know, football terminology. People are going to call it all different things. But that sort of basic nickel off the edge pressure been around forever. I mean, this is not sure. a, a new thing, but you see it. Um, certainly one of the one of the favorites, I think, from Mike McDonald. Um, and people just really have a hard time with it. I mean, just so many times you see that guy consistently come free. Like nobody blocks that guy at all. And like you said, it's really a function of how they want to set their protection. They know it's coming when you play the Ravens. You know you're going to get that pressure. And it's just a matter of, okay, well, how do we want to protect that? And it reminds me of – he's the defensive coordinator for the Raiders, Patrick Graham. I was reading an article about him recently. And he talked about sort of his philosophy, and he said, look – Typically, the quarterback is the main person who's the decision maker, right? The primary decision maker on offense. Other, other guys have to make decisions, of course, too. But he's kind of the primary guy, right? So there's other guys who make uh, fewer decisions or or maybe, you know, not necessarily making any at all on a, on a given play, depending on what's happening. He says, I want to make all those guys decision makers on the level of the quarterback, right? I want to do things where I'm forcing them to make as many decisions as quickly gotcha. as the quarterback. So I think that's something that you see with Mike McDonald, too, in terms of how he constructs his pressures. I'm going to force everybody to think about this. It's not just the quarterback. I want the offensive line to think about it. I want the backs to think about it. I want the tight ends to think about it. I want everybody to have to think about how they're going to uh, protect 
or if you're not going to and you're going to let that guy run free, typically you're going to have a hot to that side. There's going to be some hot player that you can throw the ball to to the side that he's coming. And they didn't really have any of those players on the on the times that Malek got uh, times that Malek got in. So um, it's pretty interesting to me. And it's almost like you you that's that's one of their go to's in terms of her pressure. And it's like to not have a better plan for it than they did was was a little surprising. Yeah, it's definitely uh, uh, something you see a number of times. I was thinking back to something you said in the first episode about there being a tipping point on the number of times you can do things. Like how many times can you rush five before the other team adjusts to it and makes it less marginally profitable for you yeah. to rush five? And this is a case where where the slot bits. I mean, there'd be you, you could keep doing it until they proved they could stop it. That'd be one of the solutions here, but they would f- eventually find a way to stop it. Right. Um, one of the things I was thinking is, was, was there something about the Texans' run game that they wanted to run out of one side or what? I mean, if this is with the Ravens run game, here's the, here's the way I might think about it. If your slot is on the strong side of the field, which it frequently is, you're a tight end there, then you have a, then you have a slot receiver and then the outside receiver, of course, and the, and you're running sidecar. You'll often want to run your sidecar with the back left of the quarterback because your strong side for the running back is going to be over there to run the football. Whether or not that really gives you point of attack advantages is one thing, but also you have Lamar Jackson and he's going to get free perhaps to the naked side, which which mm-hmm. is, is what you want also. So you want your back to be on that side, but that means you're not really protected from pressure in the same way by having the back on your left and the slot corner on your right because the back's got to come right across the pocket yeah. to, to make that block, and that's a, that's a harder stretch for him. He's got to make up more ground. He's got to be decisive about it because he's got to, he's got to recognize what's going on right away. Um, and if he had any other assignment to to go on a route somewhere and it actually is a pass play, you know, he's got to figure out, okay, do I give up on this chip block now to make this? And and that's the kind of decision making you're probably talking about there is yeah. that is, you know, it's it's something extra that guy has to decide. And yeah, you want your other team's bad or on un, un, <laughs> green decision makers to make more decisions. Completely agree with that. Yeah, they talk about uh, particularly on the offensive line. Now, maybe the center, you know, is another guy who sort yeah. of processes in a similar way to the quarterback. But some of the, the other guys, guards and tackles, um, I've heard, you know, defensive coaches talk about in-flight adjustments, right? Those guys don't want to in-flight adjust. They're not good at it. So let's try to make them do it as much as possible. And it would be interesting now that we make this point and, I, and I'll move on. I wonder if there might have been something formationally. I'd have to go back and look because I didn't necessarily – try to make a mental note of that when I was watching the game, when he came on those uh, off the edge pressures, it was like a formation thing. Cause I want to say it was at least two of them were off the left side. were off Tunsil side. I don't know if they all were off that side or not. Um, I'm just wondering if it might've been a formational thing for them in terms of Texans being in a certain formation and the Ravens said, right. okay, well, when they get into this, this is where we want to send, you know, the nickel. Cause I don't know that they, I wonder if they help as much to Tunsil side just in general, because of how good he is, as opposed to, you know, helping in other other places. And I wonder if that could have been a part of it. Anyway, I had to go back and look. It's just the, all of this is turning in my head right now as we're talking about it. Sure. Yeah, and, and that, that could well be. Could be could be empty looks. They're more likely to put self the slot. I, actually, I think it might be less likely when you're empty because you're, you're, you're kind of you're already looking for a pretty hot throw when yeah. you're empty. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, it's I, I, I think it'd be fascinating to go back and try and look at that. And maybe I, I go back and look. I, I don't know if I'd be worrying if I'm truncating things to look back at, say, just the sacks, but they're easier to find. Mm-hmm. But if I look at all the times they rushed off slot corner, I do have that at, at least the times they didn't declare on a pre-snap basis. So I could go back and look at those those plays. And I think that's a worthwhile offseason project. Yeah, I've I've slowed down on some of that kind of stuff, as you know. In years past, that that was right up my alley. We would, me and uh, Yoshi, would uh, get together yep. and work on all these different kinds of projects. And it's funny how both of us have kind of moved away from doing that stuff as much as we used to, just for different reasons. Not nothing negative, nothing bad, but just doing different things in life. And you know, it's, it was like we had this really good run under the gray Roman years, and we went like really heavy on it. And then when Giro left, it's like we left too. We're like, all right, man, we're out of here too. The the run okay so you stopped doing you stopped charting the run game this year oh yeah yeah I didn't chart anything this year oh I'm sorry to hear that some of the some of the best stuff you'll ever see if you want to go back in one of the one of the really good visual pods it's a video pod that's still out there on the site go look for for uh, Yoshi is Josh Masaiko and 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 Michael talking about their work on the run game but just it's it is exactly how I tell people to do an analytic study 
be universal about what you're looking at, you know, uh, put the tool in the hand of the troublemaker, you know, mm-hmm. cause there's going to be people who go, well, your studies don't cover this or not cover that. We'll just give them the tool to you make do. all the fine tune adjustments they want. And, and Josh had done a great job with that. Michael did all the charting I know for it. And, uh, you guys are a great team. I'll tell you that. I'm sorry to hear you're not, uh, you're not working on anything together. Yeah. Well, we had a good five year run. We went from 18 to 22, um, you know, every, every run play for all of those seasons. So it was, it was a good run. That is a good run. That's 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 a good basis for a lot of that stuff. But but it's uh and, and it's all Roman based, which is which is yeah. kind of cool. So the next team that gets Greg Roman, their their people should be after you to explain what are they getting. It's weird. This is gonna sound like stalkerish, but so he leaves right, and I think one of the like side hustles he picks up was uh, with the thirty third team. I don't know if you're familiar with that website, but he's doing some kind of like very very uh, limited. Um, cameos with them some videos so i think he did one or two this season right so i found out that he was working there and i'm like i'm gonna cold send him my charty <laughs> i'm gonna say hey man i dug into your offense super hardcore it's the run game part of it super hardcore for like five years because regardless of what people think about him and i know the mixed feelings about him i still wanted to like learn from the dude because i think his run sure. game is one of the most unique run games that's probably seen in quite some time so i just like send it to him like just cold email they're they're not him but you know 33rd team or whatever and of course i never heard from him but i did it like three or four oh. times i sent it like I'm three just, or four times. i'm really surprised i mean that's that's kind of not cool for him not to respond to that at all well i didn't send it directly I mean, to him because i didn't have a direct contact to him so it's probably going into some black hole you know email oh box. that could be yeah. You know, I, I hope that's the case. I hope he didn't like get it and not respond to you because that that's a lot of work. And obviously someone who's put that much effort into, I mean, they should be encouraged um, at, at the minimum and, and at the maximum, you should be pointed to, you know, as, as somebody who would be a, a good person to have in somebody's front office. I mean, at the maximum, I, it's, it's just, it, that's, it's not good if urban, uh, uh, sorry, Roman did not do that for you. Oh, well, I'm sure I, I really don't think it was that because, again, it was something like 33rd team at like it's a super generic email address. So I'm sure you know, I, who knows if he ever even saw it. You know, whoever's looking at that that inbox, if they're even looking at it, it's probably just like, ah, I just put that over there. Um, but I just thought with him being out of the league, you don't really get a lot of those opportunities. Like when those guys sure. are working, you're not going to have a way unless you know somebody who knows somebody to get in contact with those guys. But when he's there, I'm like, hey, maybe he'd be open to talking about some stuff because who knows if he's going to get back in it or not. Um, but I'll probably do it again in the offseason. I'll spam him again. <laughs> we'll see if yeah, I get now, lucky. Now he knows your email address or whoever <laughs> yeah. does knows it. Hey, I used to work in sales. I'm used to getting rejected. It's no big deal. <laughs> All right. Michael, who do you want to talk about next? All right. We talked about this a little bit on the first show, so I'm not sure how I want to go. I kind of I did want to talk about Kyle Hamilton, but I got to show Clowney. I got to show Jadavion Clowney some love. So I'm going to go with Clowney because, again, one of those unsung kind of games. And I think he's kind of wore this hat a lot throughout this season. I mean, he certainly had games where he's, you know, had sacks and, um, you know, done, done kind of his own numbers. But I thought this game was another one of those unsung type games, right? Where you show up in the run game, they try to block you with a tight end, and you just jack that dude two yards into the backfield. Like, okay, this is this is a bad plan. If this is your plan for how you want to block me in the run game, this is a bad plan, right? Yeah. Um, or, you know, even if it's taken on a tackle, you know, or a puller, you know, whatever the case may be. Just kind of doing some of that dirty work where he's playing the block in a way where he's probably not going to make the tackle, but it's freeing somebody else to be in position to make the play. And he's done that a lot. I think I may have even mentioned this to you. I think he's really underrated in terms of his football intelligence, particularly in the run game. I don't think people maybe give him, I mean, people obviously coaches and people who've played with him just certainly they know, but I think just like fans like us, I don't know if people really, I think a lot of the stuff that he does and we talk about Suggs, I'm not comparing him to Suggs, but Mm -hmm. some of that mental savviness about, Hey, if I shoot this gap, and I jam, I cross this guy's face and I jam into his shoulder, right? Not only am I going to take him, I'm going to attract the guy adjacent to him because he's going right. to feel me. So now I got two guys coming over to try to account for me. That gets that guy's eyes off of whoever he's supposed to be blocking. And then they can scrape and flow and make the play. He does that a lot. And I don't know if people pick up on it as much. So that, and then of course, you know, still doing what he does, um, you know, in terms of a pass rusher, he's he's going to have some rushes uh, a couple times a game where he's just, you know, making the 
comfortable uh, making the quarterback uncomfortable and moving off his spot. And he may not get home because he's not, you know, the most bendy guy in the world. So sometimes he doesn't always finish, but uh, he consistently doing something to help his teammates or to help, yeah. you know, make a play. Yeah, he he certainly had some of that in this game with where the lack of bend showed up in terms of getting pushed by the pocket. And I, I had some marginal pressures for him in this game. But he, you know, he starts off the chain reaction. He gets Stroud to even take a half step forward, um, and then he's leaving the pocket immediately after that. That's that's really a pressure if he's if he's made that happen. And then of course that becomes this continuation pressure. I, you know, like you, I noticed really good plays against the run. The very first play of the game, he took Singletary down for 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 nothing. And when you look at the plays that made the Texans gave up on the run game, that was one. And the second one was one of the really big ones. Q1-322, he shed Schultz, who is a guy who probably is not a great blocking assignment to to give your – for the offense – to put him we're on not, we're not thinking prime Nick Boyle no. when we think of Dalton. No, 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 no. It's that's uh, you know, it's it's not an ideal situation. Um, but he not only did he get off Schultz, he kind of jammed him backwards and then and then shed him. It was, it was an odd ball kind of a look to it where he just hit him too hard off the line of scrimmage. And Schultz kind of just reacted badly, stepped backwards and stood up. Kind of the worst thing you can do as an offensive lineman, right? St- stand right up against the defender. And and uh he he not only did he get in on Singleton. Singletary, rather. The tackle was one of the most vicious I've ever seen. He literally slammed him down like a like a like a pro wrestler, not like not like, you know, actual wrestling. I think in high school works, but but it was just a violent slam down. And uh, I, I could see how they didn't really think they could run the ball after that. Yeah, he is a super violent guy. I mean, that is the way he plays the game. <laughs> That's the way he approaches it. And he's even talked about sometimes that over the course of his career, probably to his detriment. Because he said, you know, there's probably something else I'm supposed to be doing, but I just want to run through somebody's face. <laughs> so he said, he's acknowledged that, that I've probably missed some sacks. I've probably missed some assignments and some other things because I should be doing one thing. But I want this guy across from me to understand that I'm out here to destroy him. And I yeah. want that in his head every snap that I line up across from him. We've certainly been talking about this all season, but the Ravens, you know, league leading pass rush number was made up primarily of complementary pressures. And this is why, like, full sacks are are kind of a garbage stat. You really need to, to be assigning out credit for sacks in a fractional nature, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because that's that's how the if I'm not just talking about halves and fulls. I'm talking about usually there's initial pressure that moves the guy and there's other people who, who come and show up and finish the job. And you it is it is a compound game, mm-hmm. and it's just it's the nature of this for the Ravens has has never been more apparent than it was here with the swarms getting to the quarterback. We've probably had more missed sacks this year than any time previously in Ravens history, but that doesn't mean they missed a sack in the end. It means the first guy missed a sack, yeah. and and those often ended up being sacks by by some other player. Clowning missed two, the, you know, a couple of games ago that Urban picked up both of them. Uh, you know, we've we had plenty of others this whole season that fell into exactly this category, and I think about Ed Reed. The player and and you know Ed Reed um, got to a lot of balls, but to say that Ed Reed caught every ball that was in his breadbasket would be a complete misstatement. He dropped plenty. He just had a he had a a lot of at bats on those <laughs> balls because yep. he got a shots on place. goal. That's what Wink used go. to talk about. Shots on goal. <laughs> All right, we got time for a couple more players here. I really want to get to this mailbag because it looks good yeah. and it looks very detailed. All right, another player. Um, yeah. Let's do Hamilton. <laughs> I was going to do him before. Let's do him now. Um, you know, maybe not a ton of like production numbers, right? We're not, we're not sacks or PBUs or a ton of stuff like that. Um, but he's another one of those guys that certainly has that. He certainly, you know, you can go back and look at his games over the course of this season. He's definitely had games where he's put up numbers, but he's another one of those players that takes things away, right? You, you have a plan, there's something you want to do. There's certain concepts you want to get to, certain plays you want to get to. But because of who he is and the way that he plays and his football intelligence, how smart he is and how quickly he diagnoses things, he takes them away. And it's almost like if you're a play caller, you're looking at your sheet and you're like, I can't run that. I can't run that. You might try it one or two times. He blows it up and you're like, I can't call that anymore. And this was something that I felt really good about going into the game. He's taking it away. 
if I want to be a, a perimeter screen team, because we saw them, you know, have some success with that against the Browns, you know, some stuff that Nico Collins, some stuff out there to Dev, uh, Devin Singletary, they'll kind of flare him out. You can't do it. You can't do it when Kyle Hamilton is out there. And that, you know, in, a, in, in addition to just counting stats and the stuff that he certainly accumulates, there are things like that that are just really hard to measure because it's forcing the offense to be left-handed in a way. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's left-handed is a good way to put it because the right hand is usually a strong side of the field and Hamilton is better at taking that away from the edge player to the sideline. He is the most impactful player in the National Football League right now in terms of horizontal defense. Yeah, no question about it. He just erases it and it's got to be super frustrating uh, as an offensive play caller because you got this stuff that you like you've worked on it all week you've done it in other games and you're like man we just cannot get this off against this guy <laughs> okay let's uh let's go to the mailbag if we can we'll get some questions done uh you got a great set here obviously by the way questions not only have they been more numerous recently they've been of higher quality and i really want to apologize to people where we haven't gotten to your question but really appreciate uh all the uh, efforts in, in putting these in and and the time it takes to think of these, just some really thought-provoking stuff has come up. But I'll go through a few of these. we got one of the great guys to start with the first answer here. Um, we've got this is from Logan Frazier. He says, is this the best Ravens defensive performance where we had no sacks or takeaways? I imagine it would be hard to replicate the low points and yards allowed without getting at least one of either. Well, you're certainly going to be able to to verify it with numbers. Uh, I, I can't do that, but it, it certainly feels like it's got to be top three to five, uh, if not number one. I mean, it's got to be up there because we talked about it in part one. Even without a sack, even without a turnover, the Texans didn't sniff the red zone, right? They didn't make a trip to the red zone. And, you know, that game, aside from maybe the first half, right, where the Ravens offense was a little bit slower to get started, but in the second half, even in the first half, if we're just talking about the defense, but particularly even in the second half, once the offense got going, it just never felt like they were a threat, you know, to score offensively. Yeah, they hit a play or two here or there, but you never really felt like, okay, this is, you know, an offense who's going to be able to go up and down the field on the Ravens. It just never felt that way. And to me, that's kind of how I measure those things. I'm like, does it, does the offense feel like they can threaten you in this game? And if I don't feel that when I'm watching it, then I'm like, okay, I don't know what the numbers say. But I don't see them as a threat, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that that's how I felt. Uh, well, I, I, you know, the first thing is this almost never happens. I mean, almost never. I'm looking at the 2023 Ravens had a sack in every single game. How about the 2000 Ravens? Because they didn't have a lot of sacks for the whole year. They were in the 30s, I believe. They only had two zero sack games, and in those games, three interceptions in one, one interception in the other. They probably had some fumbles and and in, in those uh as well but they, they didn't have any games uh where they uh uh you know basically didn't have any of either and the 2023 Ravens this is their first so I it, you know it's just it's not a it's not a very large denominator so I would think I would agree with you it's got to be in the top couple I would think and given how dominant this performance was I, I I have a hard time believing it wasn't number one given they only gave up three defensive points and zero red zone opportunities yeah, I, you know, I talked about how much I like the run game. It's, I equate things to that for whatever reason. I'm always making like run game analogies. It's like having a game where you run for like 200 yards, but you don't have a run longer than like four yards. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no long runs there's no home runs in there, but you were just consistently effective over right. the course of the whole game. And that's that's really what their defense was. All right, here's a good one from Eric Zikafus, uh, who says, how do you handle a potential Marlon Humphrey return next week with the way Ronald Darby is playing. I feel Darby has earned the right. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Right to snaps going forward. Well, no disrespect to Darby because he has played well. And we, we talked in part one about secondary guys and how other guys have stepped in and have not missed a beat. But if Marlon Humphrey is healthy, I'm starting Marlon Humphrey. No disrespect to Ronald Darby. Uh, when Marlon's right, Marlon is still, you know, a, a very good corner in this league. Now you got you have multiple choices on where you can put Humphrey. And presumably he's not no way in hell is he replacing Stevens, who's really the the, the Ravens number one corner now, maybe even if Marlon is healthy at this point. Mm. Then you've got the possibility you could put him in the slot and have him replace Mollette. You could still rotate, which, by the way, was not the case when Marlon was back. Marlon did rotate, I believe, for one game, mm-hmm. and then he and then he took over 100% of the snaps, basically, when, until other injuries set in. But uh, do, do you stick him back at left cornerback and forget about him at this point, or do you do you play him some in the slot? Um, I mean, I guess it would depend on the matchup. You know, if you... I won't. There no spoilers. I promise you, no spoilers. It would depend on the matchup, right? In terms of maybe how much I would want to do that. Um, I don't know. And I, I like I said, I'm trying to be probably tell. I'm trying to be a little bit delicate with this because I. This is not to be disrespectful towards Ronald Darby or like to imply that he's not played well at all. But I, I guess I just look at it like, yeah, he's played well. But if, if I've got Marlon Humphrey, I'm playing Marlon Humphrey. <laughs> so, I mean, I want him out there. If he's healthy enough to play every snap, I want him playing every snap. Now, you make a good point about where you can line him up, but yeah, okay, maybe if we go like standard nickel, maybe I'll have him in there instead of my lead or that. But you, if you can make that argument for Darby, you can maybe make it for my, for, for my lead at nickel. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, no, I just want my best players out there. Darby is fifth in the entire league in yards per target against. So that's the, the thing. And it's the, the guys who are ahead of him are Sauce Gardner and, um, uh, not Stingley because Stingley's not not been that good. He's this played year. way fewer snaps than those guys, though. He's, he has but the guys with three hundred or more coverage snaps. This is so it's not a min, it's not a minimal standard. Okay. Jalen Johnson leads the entire NFL uh, at three point nine. I had the list. I put it out the other day, but Darby being fifth was was really remarkable. I thought. Would you consider? Like, let me turn the question around. Would Would you consider still giving Darby you know a, a, a role or a larger role even when when Marlon's healthy? Um, I would. Allow it. I would try and determine if Marlon could be Marlon over the course of an entire game. And if I didn't think it was possible, then I'd rotate him. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and, I, and I, I'd be amenable to either potentially. I, I think Mallette has both of them have, have like, you know, they're they're almost too good to sit at this point. Um, but, you know, you, you got to sit somebody. You probably end up sitting either Mollett or Darby. And, and they obviously the guy who, who they, they just clearly has fallen to the bottom of their depth chart other than JAD who went on injured reserve, you know, obviously is, is Yassine. Is and, Yassine. Yeah. Yeah. And, How ironic would it be if, if Marlon gets the Jimmy Smith treatment <laughs> yeah. when he was the guy who did that to Jimmy Smith. Now he was a younger yeah. player. So different set of circumstances, but if just for health reasons, like you said, like, yeah. Hey, he's not quite a hundred percent yet. We want to get him out there, but he's not maybe ready to go the, the full way. So we kind of, you know, platoon him a little bit. Yeah. It's, he's, I mean, he's such a physical presence. Yeah. I mean, if, if getting him back at left corner with Hamilton playing on the slot, most of the time on that side, that is an unbelievable pairing. It's kind of a, a you know, the, the Darby Hamilton pairing is good because they have, you know, kind of a little different levels of physicality. Mm-hmm. Darby, pretty good downhill player. Don't get me wrong. I mean, part of his good yards per target number is that he's a good downhill tackler, mm-hmm. gets to the guy quickly and, and, and takes him down. But but it's nothing like having Marlon Humphrey imposing his will on the guy opposite him um, at the line of scrimmage and have Hamilton doing whatever the hell he wants with a block on that side of the field. I mean, just it, that would take away uh, just about anything you could do on that side of the field. Yeah, it's a good problem. That's one of those good problems to have. And it's also a position where you often need that that next guy anyway. So mm-hmm. so good to have. All right, let's go to another question here because these are some great ones. Next one is from Angelove85, a regular contributor, by the way. How does our opponent next week, Kansas City or Buffalo? Good. Thanks for not giving that away, Angelove, because I still don't know, <laughs> match up with our defense. Um uh why don't we why don't we leave that because I think we're gonna get to that during the week on some matchup shows and some uh uh 
other other uh, know your foe shows, I should say. So uh, we'll go ahead. I, 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 I'm not going to go to the who would we rather have, Kansas City or Buffalo either, but we do appreciate the questions. Um, okay, here's a good one from First Down Ravens. At First Down Ravens says, my question is about, our, uh, about your thoughts on the transition from ace coordinator to head coach. No way could Monken or McDonald have as prolific offense or defense when attending to all the hedge coach stuff. Question mark. I think it's easy saying, is that possible? Even um, maybe, <laughs> maybe they should yeah. stay focused. This, this is someone who's obviously <laughs> has a vested interest in this. Complete more years, not stretch. I, you know, there's a lot of memes out there right now. They're not memes yeah, exactly. The jokes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go, go ahead, talk about them. Yeah, there's been apparently Mike McDonald is an awful human being because uh, he's, <laughs> he's kicked puppies and done all kinds of terrible things. And that's why you should never hire him as your head coach. So for obviously, I'm joking for anybody who's not seen any of that stuff. But there's been uh, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Reddit, probably on some Ravens board somewhere, too. Who knows? People have started making all of these jokes. And there's a way. Obviously, we know it's not going to be taken seriously, but just, you know, people having fun with it because they don't want to see him leave. And so, you know, you're trying to paint this picture of him being a bad human being so that he won't be hired by anybody else. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I get it. No, When you've got a guy, what's he, 36 years old? When you've got a young guy like that who's come in and had the success that he's had. Uh, you know, I know Monken's in a different place in terms of age, but um, you don't want to see those guys leave. I understand. I totally get it. You know, because you got a good thing going here. You don't want to blow it up. You want to see it continue. Um, I lean, I know I'm probably going further into the question of what he actually asked because he might have just been joking, really. Um, I'm not sure that Monken is going to go anywhere. Right. Now, look, if you truly get offered a head coaching job, there's only 32 of them. I get it. But he's been a head coach, not on a professional level, but in college. And just anytime he's talked about it, the way he talks about it, and maybe it's just talk, maybe behind the scenes he feels differently and like he really would jump at it. But when he's talked about it publicly, it's kind of like, yeah, I've done that. I get, you know, the the allure, but sometimes it's not all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he sort of has a good perspective on it um, coming from a coaching family, just like Harbaugh. You know, I think he's got like five people in his family who coach. His dad was a coach. So I think he's seen all the sides of it. And so I don't know that he's like, ah, I got to do it. I got to do it. Um, McDonald being young, I think it's just different, you know, when you're younger, because it's kind of like, hey, if I can get there, it's, I didn't expect to get there this soon. But if I can get there at this age, I kind of have to do it. I kind of have to try it you know, and see, cause those opportunities are rare. So I don't know, man. Um, it's a tough it, question. Isn't he, uh, to me, he's a little bit too old for a really progressive organization that wants to have a long-term plan. I mean, just, he's not the kind of coach you go with. You go with, you the, mean for you with the, yeah, for, for money. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you yeah. go for the 36 year old guy, you go with a 40 year old guy and you try and build a dynasty out of that. Absolutely. I understand that, but not a 56 or 58 or whatever he is. He's just, he's, he's, honestly too old to get his to get a long-term first head coaching gig he's he is he could be the guy that someone brings in to to get their quarterback's career off the ground so you know justin herbert in san diego would be the job for monken if it were to happen yeah and uh and i it, it, i i'd take it if i were him yeah I, he I, could I, <laughs> i've joked about this when you know his name started to get mentioned for these opportunities i'm like he could be um what's that show bar rescue Right. Where the guy goes into like these failing bars and he tries yeah. to turn them around and, you know, make them successful. He court, quarterback rescue. Right. When Monken comes in for a year and he rescues your quarterback and then he goes into the next situation. <laughs> okay, so but, that's, that's some sort of a show like Pawn Stars or something like this. That's yeah. Like, yeah. This guy, he's like a real personality, you know, and he comes in and he's like yelling at people and fussing at people and like exposing, <laughs> you know, all the bad practices and the bad things that they're doing, why their bar is a failure. But then he, he'll, he helps them turn it around, you know, in a variety of ways. They do a bunch of different things. He's got other experts he brings in to say, Hey, you know, this guy can help you in the kitchen, put together your menus. Other guy can help you with Mark, you know, all of that. So Monk and uh, quarterback rescue season one. Uh, hopefully we never get to see it. Hopefully it stays here. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm, I'm now of the belief we've passed the point where it's more likely they keep all three okay. than, than um, lose one. 
which I thought it was about a 50-50 chance at, at the beginning. Meaning four, I had a 45-45-9 and 1 of losing yeah. 0, 1, 2, or 3. Okay. Now I'd say it's it's more like 60% they keep them all. Mm. Um, Just because of timing. Yeah. yeah. T- t- timing, the fact that some of the jobs have already been taken. Um, you know, people get, kind of got on me a little bit for saying that Belichick was was basically could be taking another spot away. But the Patriots immediately hired an internal candidate who I don't believe was on anybody else's head coaching radar in Jared Mayo. Yeah. And so that's a that's a uh, it's a first of all, I think it's probably a good hire for the Pats because they know who they have in, mm-hmm. in the house there. But second of all, there's always the possibility of an in-house candidate. So, you you know, you're, you're you've, you've you've got that when you when you have a coach and Belichick almost certainly is going to have either that Atlanta Gantt job or one of the others possibly takes a year off and waits to come back for an even better gig. Uh, you know, surveying the, the the situation, but I think he'll be back in football at some point. Yeah, the joke for me has been, you know, was he 15 wins away or so from the all-time wins record for a coach? And he's, you know, he's been connected to the Falcons, right? Second interview. I'm like, well, what better, what, yeah, yeah. what better division to go in and get, <laughs> get you 15 wins in a season or two, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that would, <laughs> that should be good. Uh, okay, Doug, DW Drummer 99 says, have you officially recanted your statement about it being not all that cold yet? Uh, yeah, it was it was cold. My feet were cold <laughs> by the end of the game. I still recommend, by the way, I don't know if, if you've ever tried this, but if you go to a real cold weather game, one-eighth inch insulation plastic, cut it into 20 by 16 squares roughly, put it on your seat. And by the way, I pulled mine up at the two-minute warning and sat down on the seat again thereafter. Absolute complete difference in heat exchange between my butt and that seat. It was cold. I was sitting on a, you know, a rock hard cold thing. The whole game I'd been sitting in in basically my own recycled body heat that in a in a, in a way that was uh you know much more comfortable. So uh it, it was it, my feet were cold by the end of the game. But yeah, it's uh it was it was not it was not that terrible. We've we've seen worse. All right, toss another one here. This is from Alvindo Royale um who says have you ever seen a defense be so dominant without recording a sack or turnover? What's the secret sauce uh, matchup zone? So we kind of went on this before. Talk a little bit about matchup zone and and what you saw from the Ravens maybe in this game, uh, if anything, that was really different from what they've done during the season. Or had they been pretty much multiple in terms of the way they rotated out of those starting two high looks? Yeah, I don't know that there was any. Now, I'll caveat this with I haven't seen the coaches film yet so some of the angles are better there because you can see you know the whole field and the safety play and the corner play you don't always get that in the broadcast unless you get a replay um so there's your disclaimer i don't think just from what i saw rewatching the tv copy that it was anything you know very different from what they've done throughout the season the matchup zone i always like to think about it in terms of basketball and this is probably going to age me because people will be like, who, who is this? You know, younger listeners. Mm-hmm. But I think about Jim Beheim at Syracuse. Oh, right? sure. <laughs> known for the matchup zone, right? That was their go-to defense. That is what they were known for playing. And not that other teams didn't play it, but that's kind of their bread and butter, right? And it's very similar, uh, at least in my mind, to the way that the Ravens play their coverages where it's zone, but it also has man principles yeah. built into it. Right. That's the match. Right. That's the matchup part of it. Hence, hence the name. So <laughs> it really is sort of dictated by spacing on the field and the kind of space that you want to constrict. I had this conversation with um, Caleb Warden. You may remember Caleb a mm-hmm. uh, number of years ago, and he put me on this path of thinking about football in terms of a game of territory. Right. Mm-hmm. Who you want to gain territory if you're on offense, you want to defend territory if you're on defense. You want to constrict space on defense. You know, you want more space on offense. So you're thinking about it that way. So the matchup zone was sort of similar, right? Where obviously you can't stop everything that an offense does, but you want to point them to the strengths of your coverage and you know, sort of away from the weaknesses of your coverage. So you can do that with pressure. Uh, to sort of force the ball to come out and go to certain areas, right, where you anticipate it going and you can rally up and make tackles or maybe even have somebody coming down to to break on a ball or whatever. So it's just very multiple. It's very flexible. And I think this is why I know we didn't weren't necessarily answering that uh, question for earlier about, you know, how they match up about, you know, whoever their their future opponent is. It sort of doesn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> in some way. I mean, it matters because, of course, you're going to plan for whatever that team specifically does. But 
because of how multiple they are, because of how flexible um, their principles are, it almost doesn't matter because you can handle whatever, you know, X team um, does. You've got those answers built into your structure and it becomes more about what you do than what they do. Yeah. And that's when I think you're really on to something that is really sound and not like gimmicky. You know, if you flip that over to the offensive side of the ball and with your love of the run game, this makes a great run game analogy here is the Ravens during the Roman era. It didn't matter how good the opposing run defense was because the things that you had to do to stop Lamar Jackson from being effective and stop the other are completely different from standard run game principles. And that's why they, the Ravens run ran very well, even on teams that that were theoretically were very good run stopping teams. And the Texans, they're theoretically a very good run stopping team, second in the entire NFL in terms of Devoa. Did they did they stop the Ravens run yesterday? Uh uh-uh. uh. They did not. They did not. That's a very good point. Yeah, you 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 did have to, and I think that's something that is sort of um uh Maybe we don't think about it as you, you probably do, but I mean, overall, this is something I've thought about over the years because of the way that they were defended uh, under Roman, maybe to a lesser extent with Monken, because there's a little bit more balance in terms of passing concepts and volume of, of drop back passes. But you almost feel like Lamar has to process more in some ways than the quote unquote average QB. Sure, because he's seen so many more variations in defense and approaches to defending him. That's just in the run game, let alone what you're getting in the passing game. So I'm like, there's almost maybe more that he has to process um, than you're kind of, you know, whether you put him in one of those other two buckets, your typical prototypical drop back passer or your super athletic, you know, run heavy quarterback, whichever one of those two buckets. you He almost has to do all of that. And I've always thought about that when people, you know, talk about, well, he doesn't do this well. He doesn't do that. Well, I was like, he might do more than a lot of these other guys that you're comparing him to. I, I'm I'm not even going to try and bucket the guy. He's in the Lamar Jackson bucket because he's so yeah. unique. Oh, I don't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Just but but <laughs> I, I, I'll start with the fact that that if you're really talking about what Lamar has to process for the run game, I literally think he's been doing that since he's seven or eight years old going out and playing tag in the backyard. Because it's it's reading leverage on your opponent, and he probably could one two his next door neighbor three times as better as he can one two a defensive back today because those guys are athletes that are trying to really stop him, but still awfully darn well even at that age. And you hear him talk about leverage. Uh, oh, it's it, he, it, he's at a different theoretical level in terms of understanding what move is coming next. So, uh, and 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 the passing game, you know, it's something that has evolved obviously during his career in terms of of picking up. He had a great career at Louisville. In a lot of ways, he had to start over again at the NFL level. And I'm, I don't mean anything bad at all about that, but it's just it, there there's there were new things he had to learn, and he's become more effective. And ain't it been great being here for all of it? It has been amazing. <laughs> it's been better than anything we could have ever imagined. It really is. It really has just been unbelievable. I went to I I we stopped our first round coverage of the draft that night uh, a little bit early because the Ravens had picked and you know there was three pecks left in the first round or something and and uh, uh, you know I I. I head up to bed and and not expecting anything more to happen. Then all of a sudden I see this post that says, Ozzy, you sexy bastard. <laughs> and it was uh, uh, him trading up for, for number 32 to get Lamar Jackson. And that was unbelievably cool. I'll tell you that. This fits well into our last question of the night, which comes from Luke. Luke, uh, this is Luke Paul is his last name. He is the crowd noise guru. Okay. The show did this in, and he says, only one question this week. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Everybody there knows the answer to that. That is the right answer. <laughs> that is the right answer. All right, my friend, let's go back and talk defensive MVPs from this game. Uh, need a 3-2-1 list from you. We'll start off with your number three guy. All right, I'm, I'm probably going to keep it somewhat similar to the order, and we talked about some of these players. I'm going to go Justin Matabike. Uh No, he's three. He's, he's right, 3-2-1. I'm sorry. I'm going to go Clowney. Clowney's going to be three for me. Clowney is my number three guy as well. We talked about him enough, I think, on this show. Uh, outstanding game. Continues to make contributions play after play. You don't always know the contra- the way the contributions are going to come from Clowney. You mentioned this earlier, that he does some very savvy things on a football field that are different and 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 potentially unexpected. In a, in a defense that's so 
concerned with denying space and creating opportunity for those around you, I think he's he's been a great fit. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Number two. Also my number three, guys. Just your number two guy. Yep. Number two. Um, you know, I'm going to go chalk. I'll go Millet. Arthur Millet. We'll run the chalk. <laughs> All right. Well, Arthur Mollett, it is. Let's run <laughs> He's the chalk. Number two guy. And uh, uh, a great game for Mollett. Uh, three drive ending plays that he participated in. That's always a big thing for me, you know, is, is what do they do? But he only, play, he only played 18 snaps in this game. Uh, I'm sorry, contributions to two drive ending plays. And he had six, seven highlights, as I've got them. Uh, he didn't have any lowlights among his. Uh, uh, his plays, as we had notes, he was either cleaning up after somebody else's tackle in one case was about the, the least of his highlighty highlights. You know, you want your highlights to be highlighty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very highlighty. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> good, good stuff. But uh, but Arthur Mollett also might have two guy. He's your number one. Just Matabike. Yeah, I gave it away. <laughs> yeah. Great game from Matabike. I think we talked about him enough on this episode to know just the multiple contributions he's made. Um I guess I'll ask a question related to Matt BK just to close out the show here. One of the possibilities, you know, the Ravens obviously are going to have to be very careful with all the dollars they spend next year. And they've got a lot of players, a lot of mouths to feed, um, particularly if this team goes all the way. There's going to be a lot of a lot of extra demand probably on the market for those players. About 43 percent of the snaps earlier in the year were already headed out the door. Michael Pierce got re-signed, so that reduced that number slightly. Uh, but still a huge migration, great migration of free agents out of Baltimore um, this year is coming. If if you have two choices, one of them is you can sign Matabike to a long-term deal, but it basically takes about every available dollar you have. It leaves you with no flexibility in terms of signing free agents you'd need at other positions. Or the other option is you tag and trade him and maybe with that acquire the additional draft capital you need for your left tackle of the future. Which would you prefer to do? This is going to be cheating a little bit because Denard and I have talked about this a couple of times this year oh, with, with Matt and BK. Yeah. We're both on the same page with this. I, I'd tag and trade. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm in the same player. I never like to see a player like this walk out the door, but uh, but I'm basically in the same spot. And, and honestly, the Ravens will never get a, a great left tackle at the end of the first round, and they need to replace two tackles in two years. And one of those guys certifiably has to be okay on the left side. None of this maybe stuff. You can't have, oh, I think this guard tackle might work out and he could play on the left side for us. Yeah, can't, uh, yeah. can't do that. Yeah, it's a, it's hard. I remember the first time Denard and I talked about it and we just came to it separately. We had not said anything to each other about it. And I was like, I don't know that I can give him a top of the market deal. And he's like, no, I wouldn't do it either. So <laughs> we both just kind of came to it. And it's nothing against the player. That's the crazy thing because yeah. people will hear it and let's say they don't do it and he goes somewhere else, and he has another great year or whatever, goes on to have like a great career, right? It's all ascending. It's like as good as this was, it just goes up from here on out. And people are like, you're an idiot. You know, clearly you guys were wrong. You let this guy go. But I'm just like, this team, and we talked about it throughout this episode and part one, the way that they've built this team, the way they've constructed this roster, right? This is why they're so good. Because of the depth, because of the different skill sets, the complementary skill sets. And you can't do that. Well, I shouldn't say can't. It's harder to do that when you have dollars tied up and committed with, you know, a very small you know number of players. And you've kind of hamstrung yourself in terms of your ability to build this sort of holistic roster. So I, I was maybe on a little bit different side of that before this year. Not totally. I mean, I, I kind of always been on this side but more on the fence and now this year i'm like no if i have an opportunity to, to to repeat this sort of roster build not necessarily player for player but just like philosophically what i'm trying to do i want to do this every time <laughs> this is you the way i want to do this every time you have a really good chance that you, yeah. you yeah 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 if i can't if I'm do in, it every time <laughs> right right if i'm if i'm in the bottom and i'm you know got to claw my way back up because we're like we've we've bottomed out that's different but okay. if i feel <laughs> like i've got a chance yeah so you're 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 in this position. I would look at this as you're borrowing, and I don't know what the amount would be this year, but it's probably twenty million from future cap years of some sort. Mm-hmm. You borrowed, so you 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 essentially spent one hundred eight percent of your cap this year. No, yeah, that's about that. About one hundred eight percent of your cap this year. Um, uh, you know, of, of the dollars you had. You have to make up for that at some future point, either by you know, not having a quarterback and do what Tampa Bay did this year, and you, yeah. you have Breaker Mayfield play for you for a year. Maybe he takes you to the playoffs. 
sure. you, you got you got to go cheap. Um, or, you know, you, you, you got to go through other painful cuts. I look at it. I, as a season ticket holder, I want a levelized play and I, I want them to go out and, um, you know, field a competitive team every year. I think they overdid it this year a little bit. I'm okay with it because they really have been a Super Bowl contender, mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't see them doing this three years in a row because I think it would, would create a really big problem for them, which is why I want some, um, austerity next year in this regard. And it will be still a team where the Ravens have a chance because they've got Lamar Jackson and they've got the, you know, the basic building pieces on defense with Hamilton and Roquan. But I, I just, I, I don't think it's a close enough to being a great team. It's kind of like the same situation they're in in 2001 that they can, they can say, yeah, we'll do it again. Hmm. Cause I, what were the big expenditures on defense? I know Odell was, and overpay. They, yeah, they Odell was a big overpay. Yeah, they, and they've even acknowledged that they they probably yeah. <laughs> did. But you know, there's to me, there's other. I'd be interested. I don't think I've asked you how you felt about this. There's other sort of residual value, I think, by bringing a guy like him in, even if you got to overpay. Because think about where they were and how they were perceived in terms of wide receivers. And what kind of destination this was for wide receiver? Now it's totally different offense. Totally different. Sell offense. me on it. And but okay. but what I'm going to ask you to do is give me a dollar value for each of these elements you're going to talk about in terms of what what value is it as a percentage of cap? Because I could otherwise spend that dollar on somebody else and get him to come there by buying him. And possibly. It's, a, it's possibly. It's, <laughs> and it's not. Well, I mean, there's some dollar amount I could do it for certainly. Yeah, even, that's true. Even, even the top of the market guys. Um, I, I, you know, I think I, I just I cannot get to that position. And I think that a lot of this was done for Lamar Jackson. If you want to sell it on that basis, I don't really have an answer for it. Um, if you want to say that Odell Beckham has been worth some lesser amount, I agree. You know, I, I, if, if you want to say he was worth six and a half million, seven million, eight million, even maybe this year based on what he's, you know, his play on the field, his leadership, um, the fact that other people are buying into things, the fact that he's this anti-hero at camp where basically and, and that's that's really kind of the wrong word for it. But the fact that all the kids are going crazy for him and, and you know, it takes the attention and the pressure off some other players probably because of that. Um, I think a lot of that is good. The anti-hero stuff also during the regular season where he's drawing penalties. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, from Odell. So that, that's a real positive. Um, but, but, on the, and, and, and there's probably other things he's teaching other players to do. So if, if I can put the package of things together, I can get to eight or nine million uh, on this year, maybe that, that, that he's worth. And if you, if you wanted to pay something like that again, although I think you got to, you got to portent that you, you'd have to portend that more decline was on the way. Sure. Sure. With him. Um, you know, maybe he's worth six and a half million next year. I, I I think he probably tries to get more than that somewhere else, but we'll see. Is it yeah. really good that they got that contract restructured? By the way, it shows you that they 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 did really get creative about moving those dollars, uh, kicking those dollars down the road. Yeah, yeah. I would. You, you felt like they had to, like when you saw the original deal, you're like, okay, this has got to happen at some point. And the way that they've structured it now, it's like, okay, yeah, they've <laughs> the next move, right? It's certainly going to happen because I forget what the trigger is that, you know, they'd be on the hook. $50 million. Crazy, yeah, some, crazy yeah. some, yeah. some ridiculous number. So they'll definitely make something, right? Some sort of decision will happen. So, okay. It's just interesting. I've talked about that with a couple of different people and, you know, there's, there's the tangible part of it. And then there's the intangible part. And that part is always hard. Like, you know, what, what's the real value of, of, this intangible stuff, right? It's hard to, it's hard to do it. So, but you know me, I'm a, I'm a touchy feely kind of person. So I like that stuff. (laughs) You're, you're a good man, man. And you're one of my favorite guests ever, of course, on the show, Michael, uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Uh, on Twitter at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I, um, do a podcast called deep cover with Chris Aguilera and, um, Carrie Stevenson, find that anywhere you get your podcast. Also, do another one. Uh, Deep Cover is Deep Cover is kind of just universal. We talk Ravens, but we talk a bunch of other stuff too. Um, offense, defense, all of that. Uh, Fire Zone uh, show that I do with Denard Melton. Um, strictly defense. Every now and then we might dip our toe in offensive water, but it's it's almost all defense. Um, so that that's a fun one too. It's near and dear to both of our hearts. He loves defense because, like you said, he he played you know linebacker at JMU and he coached uh, some high school ball for a while. Uh, and I love the run game and I was very bad at defense when I, when I played a long time ago. So <laughs> we share, we share that. Give, give those two pods, give them each a chance. Um, you know, they, 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 they don't self promote 
the way some other pods do. Um, uh, and, and they're maybe not as translatable from a YouTube algorithm or whatever it might be. I, I honestly don't know. I don't know they're anything not. about your listens, yeah. but yeah. I will say that, that whatever your listens are, you deserve more. And so give, give, give some of those pods that you, that don't always come up, don't always get mentioned as being one of the great pods. This is one of the ones I'd recommend. Um, there are, there are other ones too on YouTube and whatnot. I coach, um, uh, has a good look, well, sip to tally. Has, yeah, has, yeah, Coach has, Evans. Yeah, right. Great up stuff there. has, right has up good. Uh, and uh, Coach Derek, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the All 22. All 22 um, cuts. He's, yep. he's he's got you know really good content that's worth it, and he's doing some universal type looks at things, which is which is very good. Um, uh, with with Coach Evans, you get just tre- tremendous amount of uh, um, wisdom in terms of coaching that I think is is very positive. Always like talking football with him. Um, and, and I haven't seen Edgar Allan Poe's stuff in a while, Edgar Allan's stuff in a while, but it, it's a music teacher who does uh, stuff. And he's been on this show before. And I'm trying to remember what his last name is, but I, but I can't offhand. Maybe he doesn't did, tell anybody. I did not know he was a music teacher. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really like a golden age for like, you know, uh, Ravens fan created content. You know, like we're not, you know, with the team or anything like that. And there's just so much out there. So there's something for everybody, you know, whatever like area or topical area that, you know, you're interested in. There's no shortage, right? It can be whatever (laughs) it is out there for you. So um, I always love being on with you because, you know, we we both kind of like to get kind of super nerdy with this stuff. (laughs) That's just the way that we approach it. We like to talk about it on that level. And uh, honestly, there's not a ton of people I can I can do that. There's some for sure, but there's not a ton that I can do it. So I always enjoy that. Oh, I really appreciate having you on, of course, Michael. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm interested in your content, not just for the rest of this season, which if you got something to talk about the Super Bowl, let's get that on the table quickly so we can get that recorded because we've got a week off additionally, potentially there, if the Ravens can get through the AFC Championship. And also, uh, your off-season content. If you want to do four episodes on the evolution of something in football, this is a great time to have that sort of discussion. I'll be going through a lot of, of content to review this great Ravens season. Uh, so we'll have a lot of those shows. If you want to be on one, if you have interest in contributing to something like that, um, just, just give me a DM on that and I'll put you on a schedule to, to be in something like that. Then we'll have tons of draft content, et cetera, all the usual stuff. I'm sure Michael will be on some of that cause he really loves to draft. Um, and, uh, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have a chance to do much more during the uh, content this off season, Michael. Okay. I look forward to it. Really appreciate having you on again, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.